Hey, we're in John 15, and we're continuing our study, or our idea of looking at this as the conversations with Jesus, the conversation with Jesus. And I, I want to ask you to open your Bible. I want you to look at something here, because um, I had an experience this week in, in working through some of this stuff that, um, how many of y'all are using electronic Bibles, iPad, on, stuff like that, yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I've used that, but I realize that in doing that, that I've sort of missed something in this section. Uh, because um, I only get about this much text instead of, you know, two or three pages here. And so I was telling Becky, I said, you know what, I think there's something here I need to draw attention to because we're working through it. I've seen it, but I didn't see it as, if you will, as largely enough in context, uh, which I thought here is another shameless plug for our class on Wednesday night on how to study the Bible. <laughs> we're gonna, but, but I really did. I said, so I want to show you something here. I did. I think that I, I failed to let you see, and I think it will help us as we uh, work through this. I told you here uh, in uh, chapter 14, verse 25, Jesus said, These things I have spoken to you, while abiding with you, the, these things. And we looked at that, and the things that he was speaking about as he was abiding with them was the teaching about the Holy Spirit. And then I said, as we look around here, then we said in chapter 15, verse 11, these things I've spoken to you that your joy may be full. We've worked all the way through that to say, okay, the demonstrative pronoun, these things, or these, re referring back to uh, previous material from 15.1 to 15.10. These are the things that, I've been talking to you about to bring you joy. And then in 1625, uh, I'm sorry, 161, uh, where we're going to be looking at Jesus said, these things I've spoken to you so that it will keep from stumbling. Same, same construction. These, the, here's the demonstrative problem. These things, now what is that? That's what's preceded, I think, from 1512 to 161. And then, if you will, uh, in 1713, Toward the end, and these things I've spoken to you in the world that you may have my joy. And it seems like to me that Jesus in this whole section is saying, I'm saying these things and here's why. Here's why I'm saying that. I'm, I'm saying this so that you will have joy, <clears throat> right? I'm saying this so that you'll keep from stumbling. I'm saying this so that you'll have my peace. I'm saying this so you'll have my joy. It's it, it just, I didn't see that in that electronic Bible. I've, I've told my students before, I, I love having an electronic Bible, but I don't like studying it. Uh, I, I just don't see enough. I, I can't get a big enough picture. And so I just want to draw your attention to that, that these are not just some random ideas that I'm trying to unpack. I'm trying to, if you will, see the words of Jesus and say, now this is why Jesus said this. He's telling us, hey, this is why I said this, so that you would have my joy. Look there, if you will, and uh, uh, where, we, where we finished there in 1511, last week, I, I kind of jumped across it. We're going to try to work that. The, the, this is what I've said. Now, now, here's an interesting feature, if I'm seeing it, and it may be a little bit <clears throat> interpretive at this point. At 1511, there is this idea, I'm, I'm saying all of these things, and I said to you that at 1511, I don't know if the things are just 15, 1 to 10, or the material that starts back in 13, where this whole thing begins in the upper room. I, I don't know. I mean, the demonstrative pronouns means these, the antecedent, or the, what is previous to that isn't as descriptive. Could be the whole thing. Up to that point, I've said this, you'll have joy. Now we're going to go into another section. I'm saying these things so you won't stumble. Then the next one is, I'm going to say, I've said these things so you'll have peace. And the last one, is I'm saying these things so you'll have my joy. It's interesting to me, at least it's possible, you know, I'm not going to follow my sword. What you have here is at 1511, this idea of joy, and 1713, you have this idea of joy, and then you have this idea of that you won't stumble and that you'll have peace, that what we have here is sort of a bracket here. It's possible, just a thought. And we call that in biblical studies inclusio. It's a bracket. It's something that brackets an entire section. Now, the question is, and uh, some scholars would say, <clears throat> that when you have this kind of what we call inclusio, that what you have is, is an author attempting to try to emphasize, this is what I want you to have. This is intervening material, but because this is bracketed. For instance, it's an interesting thought. 
in the book of Matthew, um, uh, you'll, you'll, you'll remember in, in the first part of Matthew, uh, it says, and we will call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Right. God with us. Emmanuel. How does the book of Matthew end? I will be with you always. It begins with, I will be, you know, God with us, Emmanuel. It ends with, I'm with you. That's an inclusio there. The idea of, of the whole book being sort of caught up with this idea of the Messiah or the Christ being with us. Anyway, I, I just, I want to draw your attention to that because I think there's something significant happening here. And again, <clears throat> I blame my electronic Bible. No, <laughs> got to blame somebody. Um, I just don't like them. I just tell you, I, I mess around with them and goof around with them when I'm, you know, waiting at the car dealership or, you know, trying to read Becky something I want her to do. Or, you know. uh, but I, I just can't see enough when I use them. And I have to have the text out in front of me where I'm watching how these things kind of happen. So I, you might have gathered by now, what I'd like to talk to you today is about instructions to avoid stumbling. That's what Jesus said in 16.1. Hey, these things I've spoken to you now to keep... That is similar to 1511. So again, uh, and I'm not sure. You know, I I had a friend of mine tell me one time, you know, when you take Greek, it'll answer all your questions. That's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) There are a lot of things about the Greek language that make it even more confusing that I can't find the antecedent to this demonstrative pronoun. I'm thinking, where in the world are we here? So is it that all of this is being drugged forward to say, these things I've said to you in 15, 1 to 10, you might have joy, but this joy in these things I've said to you that you might not stumble. It's kind of dragging this all along, kind of like Lent, you know, just, just kind of dragging it along. And instead of trying to cut it up too much, which, you know, I have to do that. I have to make the Bible hard to understand or I don't have a job, right? Yeah, I mean, you just can't read and understand it. Come on, please. I'm out of work. You know, tell my students that. Oh, and that's not what that means. In the Greek, well, that's always what I can nail them with, a freshman. Well, in the Greek, uh, you know. I mean, I could be talking in pig Latin and they wouldn't know, you know. But maybe this is all, if you will, dragging forward with that. So I want to look at this matter about, I've said these things to you, 16.1, and we're going to back up. At least grammatically, I think I can make the argument that 15.12 to 16, uh, 1527 are these things. Because that's how he ended 11, 1511. We're going to pick up a new these things section. It's stumbling. Now, you know, I, <clears throat> thinking about that, I thought, um, anybody been watching Olympics? You know, pretty, pretty cool. I love track and field. You know, I, that other stuff, I can be done with it. Although Becky's brothers were great gymnasts. Can you imagine that in, 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 in Kansas? In southwestern Kansas being gymnasts? <laughs> I just never, never, the thing I figured out was that they couldn't play football during the fall because they're bringing in the harvest of corn and they couldn't, you know, practice in the, anyway, that's my, that's my story. I'm sticking with it, but I, but I've been watching it and I, I'm, I'm really, uh, track and field is where, you know, I'm, I, I am, of course, I've, I've often thought like the winter Olympics, uh, I said before that I think some of those, uh, events were designed when a bunch of guys got around a campfire and got drunk and the winter Olympics, Hey, let's ride on our stomach down on a sled down an ice path. <laughs> yeah, that's not a good idea. <clears throat> there, there are a few events out in the, in, the, in, the, in the Summer Olympics, I think, uh, were arranged. This, I'll leave that to your imagination. But uh, One of the things that I like, and I've watched over time, is I, I like the hurdles. Uh, because, uh, I, I'm going to just tell you, this is a beautiful picture. I tell you, man, when you can when you can run at the speed though, this is uh, I got his name here. I was I was uh, 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 trying to. This is uh, uh, J- American Jason Richardson. What form, man? I mean, that guy just scooting right across the top of that that hurdle. And and uh, <clears throat> this is 110 meters. And uh, this other guy from Cuba, Ortega. Uh, I've got another picture later, but he is phenomenal. But I, you know, I just think, man, what form, what power to run and then get up. And, and, and then just slide across the top of that. Did y'all see the, this, this week the Haitian? I felt so bad. For, the first hurdle he hit and went down. He stumbled. <laughs> you know? I thought, man, it, it, it was sad. You, you watched him. They're, they're just leaving him dirt in the dust. And, and, and this stumbling that, that he did. I, I, I just felt bad for him. I watched it and thought, oh, man. I, you know, it's just uh, sad. 
stumbling, falling. Uh, Jesus um, here uh, says, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm trying to tell you this so you won't stumble. Uh, now, the word stumble, it means something, an impediment. The Greek word, I like it, it's called skandalizomai. Scandal is kind of part of the, the word skandalizomai is, is uh, uh, the term here, which means an impediment or something in your way. Something that gets in your way, something that causes you to stumble. And Jesus here seems to be suggesting there are some things here that I need to talk to you about that you need to know so you don't stumble. And you know, this guy, uh, you know, in the Olympics, I mean, he finished, but he did 110 meters in 26.25. The winner, I think, was 11. <laughs> you know, he finished, but not, not very fast, uh, you know. And uh, <clears throat> so, so stumbling is something you surely don't want to do. And it becomes a part of a thing where Jesus said, I, I don't want you doing this. I, I'm going to tell you this uh, material here, <clears throat> if you will, uh, to keep you. Uh, from stumbling. So what are they? Let, let's look here then. I'm going to start reading in 1512. <clears throat> and I'm going to kind of lift some things out. Whether we get through them all today, I don't know. Um, no, no, no laughing. No laughing. <laughs> this is my commandment. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to lay his life down for his friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father. I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask in my name, he, the Father, may give to you. This is my command, that you love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because this, the world, hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. And if they kept my word, they'll keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have known their sin. But now they have no excuse. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else had done, they would not have sin. But now they have, been seen, they have seen and hated me as my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father. He'll testify about me, and you will testify because you've been with me from the beginning. These things I have spoken to you so that you may be kept from stumbling. Now, uh, some translations translate scandalizai, or scandal, uh, fall away or stumble. It means to be put out of the way. It means something that's in the path that causes you to fall down. Okay? Now, my, su my suggestion here is <clears throat> that I think that what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, let me give you some information here that if you know it, then you won't stumble. And I, I was thinking about this. Uh, this is somewhat related to expectations, isn't it? I think sometimes the reason we stumble or fall or have trouble in the Christian life is we have these expectations that, you know, somebody told us that, you know, you follow Jesus and all your kids will be born with straight teeth. <laughs> I remember 16 years ago now that uh, uh, in this idea of, of expectations of stumbling, when Becky was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, just uh, like seven days before I graduated with my doctorate, I wasn't going to go and she goes, oh, you're going for sure. She told me that. That one of the things that I watched in Becky that kept her steady through that time, and I'm telling you guys, I'm loud and mouthy, but she's godly and righteous, okay? Uh, and, and I would like to have a little less agreement with that, but <laughs> everybody's going, oh, yeah. <clears throat> That's the way it is. <clears throat> yeah. But... One of the things that we saw, and we had other friends, and I'm not, I, I, listen, everybody goes through these things differently. 
But one of the things that I watched in Becky in that time was that she didn't stumble was because of an expectation that she had. You know, you ever, you ever watch runners like when they're going to run the hurdles? They're sitting there like, you know, they're getting into the... What are they doing? You know what? They're, they're playing in their mind how they're going to run. They've already got it in their head how they're going to run those hurdles. Apparently the Haitian guy did not spend enough time. <clears throat> need to spend a little more time. <clears throat> Dial in. He really was. He was laughing and looking around. You saw him. He's, he's taking pictures. I don't know. <clears throat> but they get in their mind and they say, how am I going to run? How am I going to run? And because of an expectation, often uh, sports psychologists tell us that there's a direct correlation between the expectation of an athlete and their performance. There's a lot of research in that area. Expectations. One of the things I watched in Becky was this, that whenever she was diagnosed with cancer, she never said, why did this happen to me? Never. Now, I'm not saying you're bad if you do. I'm not saying you're bad if that happens. It's a kind of a normal, natural uh, human uh, response. You know, something bad happens. You go, why did this happen to me? What did I do? Okay. But I'm just saying she didn't. And I watched her in the midst of that because basically Becky said, why not? Think about that for a second. The expectation is that as a follower of Jesus, you're not going to be escaping problems. But some of us, we stumble because we have that expectation to begin with. You know, I paid my tithe, I went to church, all this. And, and instead of saying, look, you're going to, and she didn't, I, I want, you know, she missed one day of work in eight months of treatments because I took her out to eat Mexican food and the air conditioner wasn't working well. <laughs> it's a bad move. <clears throat> Marty came to me several times and said to me, doesn't Becky know she doesn't have to come to work? And I said, Marty, that's just not how she's wired. She's coming to work. Now, again, it's come back to this. I've, I've seen this in times when people stumble because they don't know what to expect or they have expectations that don't happen, right? I mean, you know, I, 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 I have all, I've had all kinds of expectations. You follow Jesus and you live for him, everything's going to be great. All your 401ks going up, you know, you're going to be healthy, you're wealthy, wise, and all that stuff. Hasn't exactly worked. <laughs> but, but this idea, so, so I think Jesus... Is, is trying to deal with some expectations here. To say, hey, you, you need to know this now so that you won't stumble. So here, here, here we go. Here we go. First one is this, to keep from stumbling by keeping Jesus' commandments central. I talked a little bit about this last week and I felt like I was in a hurry, so I'm just going to run back over just a little bit. <clears throat> but you know, <clears throat> Jesus said here, this is my commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than to lay his life down for his friends. And you're my friends if you do what I command you. I, I, I think sometimes in my own life and in my own, that I think sometimes that the thing to keep central in my mind is all the doctrine or teaching that I know. Or sometimes that to keep central in my life are all the things that I understand or sometimes even the things that I don't understand. But I'm going to suggest to you here that what Jesus is saying is to keep from stumbling, we've got to keep central what he said is his commandment. That we would love one another as he loved us. Now, I gave you a definition here last week, and it's this. What is love? We talk about it all the time, and I'm just, I get fed up at times thinking, well, what is this? You know, is it, is it just some contentless, uh, or no content idea? But it really is a well-reasoned devotion to the good or well-being of its object. That's what it is. It doesn't necessarily have feelings. It doesn't necessarily, I, you know, I'm just excited about doing this. It really is a well-reasoned devotion to the good or the well-being of its object. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you're, you, you need to keep this central. This is my commandment. You know, churches uh, can get busy with all kinds of things. And yet, if they fail to love each other, things are going south quick, aren't they? The, the, the idea that we can make so many things central, like we can make worship important and central, and I've got to have this kind of music. And I, I'm, you know, I'm one of those people, I, got, I have some musical tastes. 
I keep saying, I told somebody the other day, I said, I got to find a way someday in our church for an invitation song to use Carlos Santana, you got to change your evil ways. <laughs> just someday, just someday, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? You got to change. Yeah, I'm saying I'm, I'm ready to rock now. Okay. Listen, I got some, I got some biases in music, you know, I, I, I think it's a great tune. I, 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 you know, I, I've told you before, I love the Moody Blues, you know, and I love that song about evangelism. When I tell people, I say that great song, I know you're out there somewhere, somewhere, somewhere. That idea that God has people out there. So, I mean, I got vice, but, but you know, churches are talking about music and they're talking about musical style and they're talking about carpet and they're talking about seats and I better be careful here. And <clears throat> nope, nobody in here, um, uh, but, but we get all kinds of things that aren't central. Okay. What is central? Jesus saying, love one another. Now listen, man, I, I'm old enough to know this. That is a challenge. And you know what? Jesus said earlier in John 13, this is how people are going to know you're mine. Not because you can argue some, with somebody with all the cultural issues. And there's nothing wrong with having opinions about cultural issues. And not because you can show how bad people are in their sin. Although... We need to expose the darkness. He said, here's how they're going to know. You guys get along. You guys get along with each other. By this, they'll know that you're my disciples. That you love one another. You know, <clears throat> I, I wrote in my notes here, when Jesus said this, this is my commandment. And that you love as I love. I thought, I wrote my notes, how did Jesus love these guys? You, you know, well, we, obviously how? How did Jesus show these guys he loved them? He died on the cross, right? I mean, that's... See, when you have an answer like that, when you ask my students, say, okay, besides Jesus dying on the cross, how did he show his love to his disciples? How? He didn't kill them. He didn't kill them. <laughs> <clears throat> you and I would have. Yeah. yeah. I would have said, this boat is sinking and I'm walking. <laughs> How else? Patient. patient with them. How was he patient? I mean, train them. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting. Uh, he, uh, he chose them from a group of people. Uh, I don't know, you know, we read the Bible and we have, our, you know, these filters we're working through like we all do. But it's always fascinating to me when people say, you know, <clears throat> that, that when Jesus called these guys, they left everything. You know, it's almost like this ooh, spiritual thing. You know what? I, it's not that spiritual. Um, the rabbis called the people in Galilee uh, the hyetics, people of the dirt, people of the earth. The rabbi said, if you want to get wise, you go south to Judea. If you want to get rich, go to Galilee. They considered them. In fact, remember when Peter got outed around the... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, heat barrel out there by the church there, or not the church. I've been to Israel. I, mean, I think I told you that once that uh, there's a church there, the rooster. And, we're, and, and, and how did they know that Peter was one of Jesus' disciples? His accent. Yeah. Like when I went to Kentucky, I said, I got to change the oil in my car. And they said, what? Oil. Doesn't your car have oil? They said, oil? Yeah, oil. That's what I said. Look, don't, I, when I was in Kentucky, don't argue with me. There's, you know, four, four million people in three last names, so be careful here. <clears throat> don't get on your high horse on me, buddy. <clears throat> yeah. Because the Galileans had a, a hillbilly, impure accent. And you could tell it a mile away. So they're people of the dirt... That's what the rabbis called them. They had a hillbilly accent. There was thought that they were incapable of learning the law even at any level. Hey, listen, these guys aren't as, as spiritual as you think. They just know this is their only shot. No rabbi went to Galilee looking for people. They were ceremonially, ceremonially unclean all the time because they're touching dead fish. Seven days. You know, it, 
we, we got all these fabricated ideas that, you know, Jesus come. And, oh, yeah. <clears throat> Man, they, listen, they'd heard him. They'd been around him. They'd heard, they, they had known about him. And they knew nobody else was coming to invite them. This was the only party they were getting invited to. So he calls people that everybody else thinks are a bunch of local yokels. That's love. What else? How else did he show me he loved him? Forgave them. Yeah, he did, didn't he? He corrected them. There were times when he corrected them, right? Love has that feature. It has the well-being of its object. I mean, we got this sappy, hallmarky kind of view of love that just, you know, lets people do No, no. Real love has the well-being, you know. You as parents, you know, when your kids came down and said, I want ice cream for breakfast, and you said, of course, mommy loves you. No, you said no, right? <clears throat> Jesus laid down his life. I wrote, I wrote it. Here, here's the way I wrote this. So you think about that. Jesus laid down his life. He loved them in a dramatic offering on the cross. And he loved them in a daily relationship. He loved them from a dramatic offering. He died on the cross. He forgave them. But he also walked with them. He encouraged them. He affirmed them. He gave them time. He met their physical needs on occasion. See, we, we, we have a tendency to think, think it's an act of love for Jesus to leave heaven to just be there and walk with these guys. You, you know, maybe you and I ought to quit being so dramatic about our love of other people. And be more daily. Uh, Fred Craddock, who's a great United Methodist preacher, taught at a seminary years ago. Fred tells a story <clears throat> and says how that uh, God had asked a guy to give him all that he had. And so the guy got all of his money <clears throat> and took it out of the bank. I don't know if this is true. Fred may have been making this up because he's a preacher. You know, you know, you never know. <clears throat> you never know. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> but he goes and gets all of his money out of the bank. And gets it, and, and he's going to bring it to the church to God. And uh, it's, you know, several thousand dollars. And uh, God says to him, here's what I want you to do. Instead of making this big one-time offering, I want you to those thousands of dollars and get them in 25 and 50 cents. And I want you to give that out. 25 cents, 50 cents at a time. That's a lot less dramatic but it's a lot more realistic. You know, when, I, when, I, when you think about loving someone, instead of some huge dramatic, I mean, Jesus said, as I've loved you, well, sure, I mean, we're not going to die for someone probably. But the less dramatic of being willing to daily, in small ways, pour our life out. I asked Becky one time, I said, you know, uh, we've been married 37 years this week. I, I just can't believe it. She's Got good, she, oh, no, she's a great person. She has no judgment. <laughs> but I asked her one time, I said, honey, you know, I love you. And do I, do I show you that I love you? She goes, yeah, mostly. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and I said, well, what do you mean? She goes, it would be real nice for you to pick your clothes up. I'm, I'm just uh, kind of like a, 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 a Tasmanian devil coming through the house. I just leave stuff. <clears throat> Dick Greenley and I are talking. The worst thing we ever did was buy a bed with a poster board, a poster thing on the end. I've got three changes of clothes all the time. It's awesome. If the house is ever on fire and I'm just sitting around in shorts, I can get out. I'll be well-dressed. You know, she said, if you would just pick that stuff up. And I thought, well, that's not very important. She goes, it is to me. The idea of are we willing to, in less dramatic ways, would we be more willing and likely to give our life, if you will, in some ways that mean something on a daily basis? I told you about this guy. You know, I was counseling at the school, and his, he wouldn't get a job. He wouldn't go to work. I mean, he wouldn't. He just wouldn't. And he's in my office, and she's finally said to him, I'm out of here. And by the way, they're from Kentucky. She was going back. And she just said, I, 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 I'm going to move home. I can't, I can't do this anymore. You're not, you, you don't provide for us. You know, and, and you know, <clears throat> uh, Paul's pretty, pretty stout there in Thessalonians said, he who will not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel and has disowned the faith. Yow. You ever read that one? Yeah. He does not provide for his own family is worse than an infidel and has disowned the faith. 
So he's telling me, you know, and he's crying and belly aching. Or, or, <clears throat> that's why I'm not a counselor. <laughs> I just keep saying in my head, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it, fix it. Anyway, he's talking to me. He's crying. Ooh, and he said this. Why? Okay. I had, I had thing under control until he said this. I would die for my family. And I said, yeah, you would, you knucklehead. Because that's dramatic and a big deal. But you won't get a job and go to work. In Jesus' name. <laughs> I told him that. I wasn't kidding him. Man, I'd had it to hear. And I wasn't choking. What a knucklehead. But see... When we think about loving people, we tend to go real dramatic. You know, let's do something great. Why don't you think about something that's more daily, repeatable, that would make sense? Now, I put the link on your, your uh, hand out there. I, I encourage you last week to <clears throat> you and your wife or husband or boyfriend or girlfriend or fiance or kids or grand, I don't know, whoever you are, take that test. Because one of the things I've learned, and Becky and I learned this years and years ago, everybody has a love language. Mine is words of affirmation, you know, and gifts, if anybody's interested. No. <laughs> <clears throat> Becky's is acts of service. I've mowed the yard all summer just for her, and now I have an allergy problem. I'm sick. <laughs> but, but I, you know, when I began to learn that, I thought, you know what? Becky really feels love for me when I do something for her. Roll out the garbage, you know. You know, I roll out the garbage and she's looking at me amorously like I'm going, <clears throat> you know, what am I doing here? I'll do that again. <clears throat> uh, but listen, th this thing about love gets so uh, sappy and, and ill-defined. If you know the love language of the person that you want to express love to, it's going to be much more effective. If you know, <clears throat> for instance, with my dad, I knew there were, my dad had a particular love language. And it, and it was gifts. You know, I could encourage him all I want to, but my dad, and, and generally your love language is either what you got a lot when you were young or you didn't get at all. That's why you're wired like that. It's okay. But, you know, we, we talk about love in the church and love in the church and sacrament. But listen, here's a real practical way to begin the process, <coughs> excuse me, of expressing love to people in a way they can get it. Because your danger and my danger is that we're going to express love to others in the way it would be expressed to us. And that's a mistake. That's a mistake. Nobody else is wired particularly like I am in that area, and so I try to give them words of affirmation. It doesn't mean anything to them. So what if you did this this week? Just, <clears throat> I ask you, complete the five love language survey and find some real, less dramatic, practical, not dying on the cross for your, your family kind of ways to do what Jesus did. He walked with them. He spent time with them. He encouraged them. He corrected them. All of these kind of things. They began to make a difference in their life and said, I, I, I feel love. I'm just telling you, I, this is an important thing. And again, I, maybe it's my own aggravation here. But I'm not just interested in talking about love in some esoteric or some abstract way. If we're going to do this, what Jesus said, if you, you've got to love each other as I've loved you, that means time, it means effort, it means energy to find out what the person needs. The second thing here, <clears throat> keep from stumbling by knowing my relationship with you. Notice what Jesus says here, <clears throat> verse 14. You're my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you slaves. A slave doesn't know what do, the master's doing. I, it's been my observation that, uh, and you know, look, look what Jesus said. You're my friends if you do what I command. Now the word friend here, I will just tell you something. This is a word that is only used in relationship to God twice in the Old Testament. Nobody really is understood as a friend of God. Servant, <clears throat> you know, one who works, <clears throat> but not friend. Only Abraham in 2 Chronicles 20 verse 7 
Abraham in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 7. And Moses in Exodus 33, 11 are called the friend of God. This is a staggering statement that Jesus is making. The, the idea that you're my friend. Uh, it, 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 it's amazing from a, from, a, from a biblical understanding. You know, I, I, if you never read the uh, uh, Screwtape Letters uh, by uh, C.S. Lewis, uh, one of the great statements he made is, uh, the shocking thing to Wormwood when his uncle Screwtape confides in him when he says, God really loves these hairless bipeds. <laughs> God really loves them. Jesus said, you're a friend. You're, you're a friend when you do what I say. Now, that, I wrote, that, that sounds a little conditional, doesn't it? A little conditional. Can I, you know, I think you know this, <clears throat> but all relationships are conditional. By their very nature. You can like somebody and love someone and they don't give a hoot about you. You don't have a relationship. Relationships by their nature are conditional. Love is Unconditional. You can love someone. They can love you. And there's no relationship. Relationships are conditional when two people agree to be in that relationship. And Jesus said, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, you're going to need to do what I say. You're going to obey me. Because the matter of obedience is simply a matter of trust. If I say to a friend of mine, hey, uh, let's go do something. And they say, well, let's do this or I'll drive us. No, I don't trust you. We're going to have a relationship? <laughs> So, so Jesus is, is, is saying here that you, you need to know your relationship. What is it? Friend. The idea of this being a friend, not a servant. I, I told you, we used to, Ken Smith and I used to laugh a little bit because I didn't have this, at least in my thinking, when I was growing up as a kid in church. I, you know, I didn't have this idea of friendship. It was much more of servanthood, and, and those words are in the New Testament. I understand that. And I, I, we were talking one time, and I remember we were singing this song. We said, sing a song. I am a friend of God. Remember? I am a friend of God. I used to sing it. I am afraid of God. I am afraid of God. I am afraid of God. I am afraid. Anybody? <laughs> friend was not in my lexicon. I, I thought God was pretty well put out with me most of the time. But the idea of being a friend, he said, you're my friends. You know what? <clears throat> I think that sometimes our own view of ourselves is what causes us to stumble. God's not interested in me. He doesn't care about me. What I'm going through isn't important. It's, it's not that important. God, God's not that interested in the details of my life. You know, he's interested in somebody else. And I think sometimes we stumble because we don't think God really cares. It's too pervasive. I talk to too many people. I've had, if you will, so many opportunities to meet with people. And they say, you know, if you ever notice it, it's easy for you to believe God loves everybody in the world but who? You. Of course he loves Eric. And of course he loves Dee and Stan, you know, and sometimes Daryl. And... <laughs> But when we think about ourselves, it's unusual. I'm going to just tell you that it's been my experience with people. It's unusual when people have that sense of security and sense of confidence that I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. I, 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 I've struggled with that. I know others have. <clears throat> There's a great story. Plutarch, who was a, a Roman historian, records a story of two friends named Damon and Pythias. And they were followers of the Greek philosopher Pythagoras. And somehow they got <clears throat> goofed up in their math classes. I don't know. Pythag That's a bad joke. Anyway. Somehow they got at odds with Dionysius, who was the king. And so Dionysius determines he is going to execute Pythias. Pythias wants to, <clears throat> to go home and, and uh, make things right with his family and uh, ask to do that and he'll come back 
And Damon, his dear, dear friend, offered himself as a ransom that if, he, that if Pythias would not return in time for the hour of execution, that Dionysius could kill him. And so Dionysius said, okay, you can go. <clears throat> and in the time frame, it became close to the time of the execution, and Pythias apparently uh, ran into some pirates and some things happened, and he was a little bit late. But he got there just before the execution because Dionysius was going to kill Damon in, in his stead. And the story goes that Whenever Dionysius, the king, saw Pythias come back to get his friend out and would be executed, he took them both away, didn't execute them, and asked if he could be involved in that kind of friendship. Think about that. Here's a king that sees a man saying, I will stand in my friend's stead and I will die if he doesn't return. I'll let him go home. And that guy knows when he goes home, he could stay and not, not come back. And his friend would die and it'd all be taken care of. But he comes back. And this king, seeing that, says, I'm not going to kill you and I'm not going to kill you, but I'm asking, may I be taken into the secret of such friendship? Wow. Is that the kind of friend that Jesus is to you? Is that the kind of friend that he sees in us? The one who he wants <clears throat> to enter into friendship? He said, I've called you friends. You're not a slave. You, I'm telling you what my father's told. Notice he said, I'm going to tell you what my father... Slaves don't know what's going on. Friends do. <clears throat> I'm going to tell you what my father has said. And Jesus is explaining and declaring to them, this is what my father has said about life and reality. You're my friend. What if, uh, I'll just ask you this week. What if each day this week when you are at the mirror getting ready for the day, you ask yourself, do I see myself as Jesus sees me? His friend. His friend. I mean, every day, I'm going to ask you this week. Every day you go to that mirror. <clears throat> Some of you haven't been there in a while, but you know, <laughs> yeah, a few of you. Most of you, though, <clears throat> you go to that mirror. Just, I'm, you know, just look at that and say, look at that person there. Do I see that person the way that Jesus sees him or her? Is that what's going on on the inside? I, I'm just going to say, <clears throat> with the struggles and the challenges of life, I think this is one of the reasons that Jesus says it. Because if we know this, it keeps stumbling at bay. Uh, they told us at the National Prayer Breakfast years ago, they said, uh, if you really, <clears throat> if you love someone, you'll give them your time. But if you really love someone, you'll share your friends. If you really love someone, you'll share your friends with them. Jesus wants to share His friendship with you and I. <clears throat> he, he, he wants to, to, to be that one that that, that we understand, I've called you friend. That's an amazing statement. Nobody but Moses and Abraham were ever called friends of God. Jesus says now, you're my friends. You're my friends. And you know what? <clears throat> because he's my friend, I want to do what he wants me to do. Because he's my friend, I want to obey him. Because he's my friend. I told you <clears throat> last week, this great statement I actually got from Floyd McClung that said that obedience is never an act of servitude. Obedience is an act of gratitude. Obedience is not an act of servitude. It's an act of gratitude. That God has loved me and cared for me and been so loving and kind that my obedience wants, needs to be fueled out of gratitude, not servitude. You can see this later. Even the, the Apostle Paul says in, in, he, in, uh, in uh, Romans 8, you've not received the spirit of slavery, servanthood, to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption where you cry, Abba, Father. That's Romans 8, 14 and 15. He says, hey, you've not received the spirit of slavery. Listen to this now. 
You've not received the spirit of slavery to fear again. Wait a minute, wait a minute. What, what, what do you mean? Listen, I would suggest that most of us, when we found out there was a God and we weren't Him, we were afraid. <clears throat> right? There was some fear and anxiety. You know, when I realized, hey, I'm not God, and there is one, there was some anxiety there. Paul said, you've not received the spirit of fear to go into slavery again, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Probably call Abba Father. You know, John Wesley believed, and, and I think he's right, that there were two types of Christians. Really good. No, John. Two types. And he worked right out of this. And Romans, <clears throat> or Romans. There are, belie- there, there are Christians or followers of Jesus who have the spirit of the slave. You know how you know you have that spirit? Is when you do your best, try your hardest, um, or do what you can, and it doesn't work out, you feel far from God. Because the slave's spirit is based in performance. If you don't perform correctly, if you don't perform accurately, if you can't pull this off, you feel far from God. Wesley said, you have the spirit of the slave. He said, you're a Christian. You're a follower of Jesus. But for whatever reason, somehow it's happened, you've got the spirit of the slave. Your performance is good. You feel great. Your performance is bad. You feel terrible. I told my students, this is what's bad. I, I, I teach this as hard as I can. I say, listen, in your ministry, when you, you know, if you do a great job and you, you teach or you do a great job, you know what? If you've got the spirit of that slave, you know what you're going to struggle with? Arrogance. Man, I did a good job. Woo, right? Or if you perform and it goes bad <clears throat> and you feel far from God, you're going to struggle with despair. We got to get this fixed. <laughs> Arrogance and despair are neither one of those really good things that we want to be working with. But the spirit of the slave, their standing with God is not a friend, it's performance. Is that you? <clears throat> That's been me. Two years ago, I'll tell you real quick. <clears throat> I'm going to let you out, I promise, man. <clears throat> We're not going to finish this. Shock. Two years ago, I, you know, I've always thought uh, Lent was uh, too Roman Catholic for me. <laughs> and I give up chocolate. Are you kidding? Because if I do, the day it's over, I'm going to sit there and eat three pounds of it. <clears throat> you know? I'm, not a good, I'm not a good person in that. <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I always thought Lent was just a little... And I'm not saying if you do, I'm not saying it's wrong. I, it just seems superficial to me. Until one year, God got a hold of me. And I was convinced, he said this, you know, I want you to give up for Lent. I mean, I hear a voice, but I know it's him. I want you to give up the incessant need for approval. The incessant need of affirmation in ministry. So I said to Becky, you got to help me here now. For the next 40 days, I'm not going to ask you one question about how did that go in Sunday school. I'm not going to ask anybody at the university, did you think that was okay? For 40 days. Let me tell you what, that was a real Lent. Right? Because I'm afflicted at times with this spirit of this slave who lives and dies by his performance. I'm an American. I grew up like that pull myself up my own bootstraps, tell me I can't do it, I'll do it anyway. That spirit of that slave that has to perform, it will exhaust you. You won't survive it. You'll one of two things. You'll go to despair or you'll become arrogant as can be because you've pulled off a few possible things. The other side is Wesley said, or there's the spirit of the sun. The spirit of the sun. The Spirit of the Son is the one that says, my status with my Father is who I am. 
who I am, not what I do. I'm a child. I can no more not be Marvin Sanders' son than I can jump to the moon. I'm Marvin Sanders' son. That's it. That's my understanding of who I am. So do I see myself as Jesus sees me? Many of us are afflicted with this. And it's what's going on underneath, under the surface of our heart. And what Jesus says, no longer am I going to call you a slave. You're my friend. You know, I've got some really good friends at this church. And I tell them every time we'll have breakfast, I just get to say, man, I love you. And I'm, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I say, I love you. And they'll sometimes say, yeah, okay. No. <laughs> oh, they'll say it back <clears throat> sometimes. Um, but I can tell you this, that in the heart of every person, I think, is this deep longing desire to enter into friendship with God and to drop the performance off and to be able to stand before Him and say, I want to see me like you see me. I want to see me like you do. For some of us, you're going to fight this like a bobcat because you've just had all this junk about yourself for all this time. And you're just going to, talk, and you're just going to say, Lord, I ask for grace. I ask you to help me submit to what he thinks about you. You say, well, Cliff, that's all a bunch of phony baloney preacher talk. Well, let me just tell you. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. For God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever, and you're in that whoever, you know, whoever believes in Him will not perish. We have to see this. And I think we stumble in life and fumble in life and fail and all kinds of things are happening because we don't hear Jesus say, you are my friends. Lord Jesus, we uh, are asking that this word from your scriptures would find its place in our hearts. Many of us have wounded hearts. Many of us <clears throat> have lived intoxicated with performance. So far, we've been able to pull out. We've been pretty successful and we've been intoxicated by it. But there'll be a day when we don't succeed, when we don't do so well. So would you help all of us today recenter our identity, understanding that we're your friend because we do what you say. We, we don't always do it perfectly, but we, we want to do what you say. And then, Lord, we want to keep central your command to love each other. What that looks like in, in real time, not some abstract, esoteric, but kind of <clears throat> giving our life away in 25-cent pieces each day. So help us. We would like for these words to find lodging in our heart. We pray this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.